Hey friends, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this message today. Everything that the Lord shows me is designed to impact people's lives and advance the kingdom in a mighty way. My prayer is that you would be so blessed and so rooted and so established in the more that the Lord has in store for your life. And remember, stay fired up! What I want you to understand is God wants to restore his image, his nature, and his, his character. So when you say, God, your glory, your glory, cloud of your presence. Well, when Solomon dedicated the temple, there was a cloud that came and filled the sanctuary. In Revelations, all around the throne, there's a cloud enveloping with rainbows and lightnings and thunders. And it's, it's supernatural. It's beyond our logical intellect. So what you have to do is take your logical intellect and submit it to the Holy Spirit. And say, hey, man, I don't really... Lord, I may not know and understand. This is like, I don't really know. But you know what? I'm just going to worship you right now. Listen to the guitar. Listen. We have some of the most awesome musicians. Okay, I'm just telling you. Just listen to, the, listen to Jimmy play the bass. He's worshiping on that bass. Just close your eyes. Allow the Holy Spirit to move in your life and engage. I heard the Lord tell me in worship. I heard him say, lean in. To me and the people, lean in. Because the natural tendency is to pull back. Okay? But in worship, you're making a conscious decision to lean into the Lord. And you're going to have to get past trying to figure it all out and understand it. It doesn't mean that God doesn't use your reason, your intellect, and logic. But it means it's submitted to the Lord. I'm going to show you that today. In Ephesians 1, 16, I'll, I'll show you the scripture. Paul's praying that God would give to the Ephesian church, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, okay? That people would know intimately and have an understanding. And this word for knowledge, to know, is epignosko, which is the opposite of agnostic. It's epignostic, meaning to be transposed upon from heaven so that you get an understanding to know and intimately understand. Now, I know this stuff. Now, some of you don't. What I, I just cannot challenge you enough to spend time reading your Bible. I'm telling you, everything's going to fight for your time. Everything. Facebook, it's so much easier because Facebook and social media and news enables us to, in a sense, kind of check out. But when we're reading God's word, the Lord is speaking and ministering and challenging us and bringing light to our understanding and that's why, for me, I can only absorb little bits at a time. It's here a line, there a line. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Sometimes I can read more, sometimes I read less. But what I choose to do is spend a lot of little times in the Word. A little bit in the morning, a little bit in the evening. And it doesn't mean I don't look at my Facebook and post and comment. It doesn't mean I'm not checking the news. But I'm making my priority and my time is a lot more spending time with Him because I can't say it enough, you simply cannot be too spiritual. You need to break that lie of the devil that says, oh, you're going to be so heavenly minded, you're going to be noticeably good. There's no such thing. The more, fact, if you're really becoming more heavenly minded, you become more earthly good. Oh, man, I've never said that before. That deserves a sip of coffee. Do <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You guys with me this morning? Is anybody fired up? I know you yeah. lost... I know you lost an hour of sleep. Let me tell you something. I realize that I'm way more for the spring ahead than the fall behind. 
I'm way more for the spring ahead. You know why? I hate short days. I got kids to take to the park. I got beaches to go to. I got important stuff to do at the end. My kids are waiting, and it just gets dark. I'm all about long, sunshiny days in summertime. I'm a summertime spring kind of guy. I used to hate the spring ahead because I was out partying all night, and I would, you know, have to get up so early in the morning for whatever reason. Now I was anxiously anticipating, expectantly awaiting for this. So I just want you guys to be encouraged. You know, I bring a lot of teaching on a lot of subjects here, a lot of subjects. And I'm going to start a series leading up to Easter and Resurrection Sunday and Passover. I did it last year. We'll start that in a few weeks, and we'll lead in through Palm Sunday, and I'll take it through Resurrection Sunday, and we'll go right to Pentecost, and we'll, we'll take it from there. And then we've got an incredible conference coming in May with Prophet Kevin Leal and Pastor David Chisholm from a church just like ours, but 15 years ahead of us in a sense of about 1,000 people in West Virginia, a real spiritual father. He's going to be here, so Pastor David Chisholm will be here and, and Prophet Kevin Leal. These are fathers in the house that have that I owe so much to for steering and pointing me in the direction that Rock City has gone. You want to be a part of this conference. And so, you know, I'll teach series at times, and sometimes I'll do a message on top of a message. Sometimes I'm just all over the place and bringing you a hodgepodge of all different kinds of spiritual understandings. Unity, beholding the Lord is looking into a mirror, right? Things that Jesus taught, old, the garden, revelation, all kinds of stuff. Because when I read the Bible, I'm like putting a puzzle together. You know, the Bible's 66 books, and it all fits together. Over 36 different authors, and every book fits together like a puzzle. It all paints one picture, and that's a picture of God's love and his kindness and his redemption for mankind. And so when I read, I'm rightly dividing the word, and I've got all kinds of resources, and I'm going here, and I'm going there, and then I get... I kind of get lost in these sections and then I come out into reality and I'm like, oh man, that's so good. And then when I say, Lord, what do you want to say to the people at Rock City? He says, oh, you know that thing that I showed you when you were reading Ephesians 1? I want you to remind them about, about that. You know that thing about unity and uh, Psalm 133, which by the way, I didn't tell you this. I, I totally missed this, but hey, we'll make it an after the fact. Did you know last Sunday was the three-year anniversary of Rock City in this location? So in the third year, in the third month, my wife turned 33, and I taught Psalm 133 last week. Cheers. I'm going to run out of coffee. This is the tragedy. So look at church more like a living room. Think family, okay? And I'm telling you, God's going to do what the Lord wants to do. And so thousands of people, 500 people, 700 people, at some point, God's going to have his way no matter what. And we just enjoy each other. We have a family and we come expectant and hungry and thirsty. Okay. And so that's pretty cool. Third year, third month. My wife just turned 33. I'm telling you, it's a prophetic year. And that message on Psalm 133 last week about unity, how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. We have got to get united, guys. And the only way that we're going to get united is by dwelling together. That, that's relationship. So God doesn't want you isolated. There's a purpose for local church communities. And a lot of them aren't doing it right, but some of them are. And so you find one, and hopefully 
We'll keep doing it God's way, and you'll stay connected here, and you'll grow. You get into relationship. Every Thursday night, the men are meeting now. Every Thursday night. For years. This is like for the next three years. Right? And they're doing a maximized manhood curriculum, but you can jump in at any time to learn and grow. It's awesome. Women are meeting consistently. We've got ROI starting every Tuesday night. We have Cultivate. Uh, the class will start over again Sunday mornings. We've got mamas and papas having worship events. We've got uh, a 12-hour worship event coming up next month called Raising the Tent. So we, we do a lot of things not to be a busy church, but to keep people connected and to do life together because there's a full-time enemy that wants to get you distracted and destroy your life. And let me remind you, God doesn't want an audience. He wants an army. So we shift out of audience mode and we step into army mode because you got kids and babies and grandkids and families and generations and legacies that are looking to us to lead the way, right? All right, that was my inspirational moment for today. And uh, so now I'm going to give you this word that the Lord showed me. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about a passage of Scripture in Ephesians. And uh, before I get there, I want to set the stage for you of, of how the, the church of Ephesus got birthed. Because I always like to look at the beginning of a thing. And so when I'm reading in Ephesians how Paul's writing that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places and that God has predestined us to become sons and that God foreknew uh, and designed us to come into the knowledge of his will for our lives. And I'm reading all those things. And then Paul goes on to say, when I heard, and this is kind of the conclusion, but I'm going to set the stage for you. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 15, he goes, when I heard of the faith that you had in Jesus Christ and the love that you had for one another. Oh, yeah, cool. With the love that you had, I made a decision. Now, let's, I don't want to give it all away right now, but Paul's basically saying, when I heard this, I made a decision to never stop praying for you and making mention of you in my prayers, and then he goes on to say what I'm praying for. And I thought, man, this is awesome. This church has overcome so much. The church, the church of Ephesus was started with supernatural occurrences. And I'm talking massive supernatural occurrences. This church did not start in any way, shape, or form with intellect or logic of man. It started with supernatural encounters and power that turned a city and a region, 12 cities in this region, okay? It was known as the, the Ionian Legion, 12 cities in this whole region of Ephesus. And Ephesus was the hub. It was the epicenter of the Roman province. It was basically the, pro the provincial capital in that region. Now today, and well then, but today it's Turkey, in Turkey, right? But then it was a Roman province, okay? And so there were 12 cities, a whole region, and Paul's on his missionary journeys. Paul's, uh, gosh, he's in his early 50s, when he goes on his missionary journeys, late 40s, early 50s, if you look at a timeline of Paul's life, I mean, he had just years and years and years overcome adversity. Of course, he got rocked. How Paul got transformed and born again is an incredible supernatural story. And then Paul overcomes all kinds of obstacles within the church and outside of the church. And uh, then Paul begins to go on mission trips, missionary journeys. 
He goes on these, his first missionary journey, and then he goes on his second one. And on his second missionary journey, Paul stops through Ephesus. He makes a stop in Ephesus, in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And he starts preaching in the synagogues to the Jews. And the Jews receive, some of the Jews receive him. But he's pressed for time. This is Acts 18, okay? He's pressed for time to get to a feast, most likely, uh, you know, one of the major feasts in Jerusalem. He's pressed for time, and so he doesn't stay. But those Jews that were there liked what they were hearing, so they wanted him to stay, which meant that there was this open door for him to come back. But he leaves a couple of his traveling companions with him. He leaves Aquila and Priscilla, a married couple, They were on missionary journeys, and he leaves them behind, who later would go on to start a church. And she would pastor it as well, by the way. She would be a great leader in the kingdom of God. So anybody that says women shouldn't be pastors, well, that's a lie, okay? Because God, even in the Old Testament, raised up Deborah to be a pastor of the nation, right? And so, anyway, so um, you know how passionate I am about that topic. So he leaves this couple behind. Okay, And then this couple meets a guy by the name of Apollos. And this guy really understood the way of the Lord, but he still was a disciple of John the Baptist. He only knew the baptism of John, but he preached mightily. He wasn't from Ephesus. He was originally from Alexandria, which was the second largest Roman city, and it was on the coast of Egypt, right? But he was very learned. He was very skilled. In fact, that was where much of the Old Testament was translated into Greek. And there's a lot of history stuff for you. This stuff fascinates me. I spent a lot of time. I want to know. I mean, I actually read the introductions to the books of the Bible, believe it or not, because I want to understand two things. Everybody say context and content. I want to know what I'm reading. If I read one good scripture, I like to know the before and the after. If I read a therefore, I want to know what happened before, okay? I want to be educated. I want to study to show myself approved as a workman to God. I'm not out to please you. I'm out to please him. And in turn, he equips and strengthens us to do what we're called to do, all right? So it's a little bit more educational. I know it's a little teachy for a 9 o'clock service. Have your coffee. I had mine. And enjoy the ride, okay? I'll try to, to sum it up for you. I'm just summing it all up. I have it all written down here. I probably won't say it as good as I wrote it down, but basically... It says that Paul reasoned with the Jews during that first time. He leaves, and then Aquila and Priscilla stay behind, and they convert Apollos. So Apollos is refuting the Jews. He's fired up, but he doesn't know fully the understanding of Jesus and who Jesus is. And so Priscilla and Aquila pull him to the side and and explain to him the more excellent way, a better way. He receives it, and now he has an even better opportunity to minister to those that are in the region. Okay, in Acts 19, and I'm summarizing it for you, but this is a powerful understanding because if you're going to read Ephesians, you've got to understand the history of how this church got started. It puts the book into so much of a greater context. In fact, all the epistles of Paul, many, most of them were written from his traveling journeys to the churches or to Timothy or Titus or people that had traveled with him. So go back and read Acts. I'd encourage all of you to read the book of Acts, okay? Now, I'm not building a church on the book of Acts. I'm building a church on Acts. Oh, gosh, it's been a while since I've quoted this. I think it's 916, where it says that right after Paul got born again, 
it says that he traveled around and the churches of Samaria and Judea, they were strengthened in the comfort of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I want you to walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You need the comfort of the Holy Spirit every day in your life. I admit, is that the wrong scripture? Is that the right scripture? Oh, shoot. It's been a little while. Well, then don't put it up. It's in the Bible. I've quoted it so many times, you know. The point is, is that the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord is what causes the churches to grow mightily. So if I can get all of us to walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, unity and community, common unity, something great's going to happen. And I just happen to believe that we're going to turn this city upside down. I'm telling you, I'm in it for the long haul. And God's opening up supernatural doors to influence city, city council, city hall, the city gates of the city, and to set the standard of the kingdom of God in the body of Christ. Now, we're named Rock City because we're the city built on the rock. That's why I named this church Rock City. So the vision of this church is apostolic prophetic to take territory to advance the kingdom of God in the hearts of men. That's what I want to do. I want to see the kingdom of God in Port Aransas. I want to see the kingdom of God in Sinton, Annaville, Cal Allen, all over this region. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, I think the church of Ephesus gives us a great pattern because what you're going to see is all 12 of these cities totally get rocked and the gospel spreads like wildfire in all 12 of these cities because 12 people got baptized in the Holy Spirit. 12 people get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to show it to you. Listen, God's got so many hidden treasures in his word. If you start connecting the dots, oh man, it's going to get you so fired up. Okay? So Acts 19, verse 1 and 2. Paul rolls back into Ephesus, and he finds some disciples of John, and he, he says, let me ask you a question. Here's what he didn't say. Are you born again? Here's what he didn't say. Do you know Jesus? He came in. These were disciples of John. They, they probably clearly had some knowledge of Jesus, but they may not have known. I mean, they're far from, from Israel, from Jerusalem. And they may not have fully known. And he finds some disciples, verse 2, and he says, one of my, I love this so much. I just want to go around a lot of churches, a lot of pastors and say, say, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I just love that. And they said, this is a, this is a dilemma. Don't think that that's, this is just for them. This is a modern-day crisis in the church right here. Modern-day crisis right here. We haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit, right? So I'm going to sum it up for you. They get baptized in the, the, the name of, in the Lordship of Jesus. They get baptized in basically a baptism in water. Again, they've been baptized with the baptism of John. But they then get baptized with a baptism of water into the lordship of Christ. And then, check this out. This is so awesome right here. Look at verse 5. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we'll go through verse 7. So then what's Paul do? He lays hands on them, and the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they speak with other tongues and prophesy. Okay? This is powerful really powerful. So these 12 people get baptized in the Holy Spirit. For the next three months, Paul would speak boldly in the synagogue concerning the things of the kingdom of God. 
Now, Paul didn't have the New Testament. 13 of the books of the New Testament were written by him. There was no revelation. They only had what they experienced and saw in Jesus. The Gospels hadn't been written, so he's out preaching a message of the kingdom of God. It's powerful. But due to persecution and hard hearts, Paul would move to minister or reason daily in a different school. So Paul would leave the synagogue, and he'd go and minister in the school of Tyrannus for the next several years. Now, Tyrannus, I'm not going to give you a, a lot of background, but Tyrannus was a, was a rhetorician, meaning he, he had a school of philosophy and rhetoric, okay? The word Tyrannus means tyrant, and this was a common philosophy hall in Ephesus and is very indicative of the type of leadership and people indoctrination that was being taught in that day. And then in Acts 19.10, by the way, Paul would preach there for several years, and it says that he would reason with them. And then in 19.10, the fire of the gospel would now spread through all of the, the Ionian legion, all the 12 cities. 12 men, remember, 12 men, 12 cities, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? Not only were they reasoning in the school being taught every day, but there had to be some fire of evangelism that was going out. Okay? Powerful. Giving you a little bit of background of the, the church of Ephesus and how it started. So, so, the, so Ephesus, as I mentioned to you, was a province in Asia Minor. It was a Roman colony in a sense, and it was a, uh, the provincial capital of Asia Minor in a major, major trade route in Turkey. Okay? It was also a major hub for witchcraft, sorcerers, wizards, and Id- idol worship. The city contained one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana. Okay? It was this incredible temple that was massive and huge, known as one of the seven wonders of the world. You can look it all up. Okay? So the Temple of Diana, and it was a New Age hub for magicians and magicians' apprentices and sorcery and witchcraft and psychics and I don't know if they had tarot card readers, but if they did, they were there. Mind readers, okay? A lot of mind readers. The goddess Diana was a goddess of the hunt, the moon, childbirth, fertility, and animals. The myth says that she was able to communicate with and control animals. Ephesus was considered the temple guardian of this temple, and the city leaders and politicians were in full support. So you had the city government. Everybody was in full support and considered themselves the temple guardians or the gatekeepers of this one of the seven wonders of the world, all right? The city also had Jewish exorcists, magicians and apprentice magicians. It was a major tourist hub at the time, and much of the city made its money from visitors and sales of idle souvenirs. So when you would pass through, there were all these little souvenirs of Diana and what she looked like. There's images. You can Google it. And basically, people traveled through to experience a lot of new age, to, you know, be more spiritual, go to the temple, buy souvenirs. You had a lot of craftsmen and silversmiths that were making their money by people traveling through the city. After years of ministry and the advancement of the gospel, something incredibly supernatural happens in Paul's ministry. I'm setting the stage for you, okay? So Paul ministers for years at the school of Tyrannus, the gospel spreading, people are being touched. He's in the middle of this like crazy new age witchcraft hub city. Understand the context here, okay? It's the context. 
few people received it first. Now, Apollos gets rocked, but Apollos leaves, but probably ministered there for a while. It's, it's, it's probable that the 12 people that, that Paul found when he came back to Ephesus might have been somewhat discipled by Apollos originally. We don't know, but there's a connection. Both were disciples of John. Paul comes in, baptized with the Holy Spirit, equips him, prophecy, tongues, signs, wonders, miracles, gospel spreads to the whole region. Okay? And then something incredible happens in Paul's life. Now, why am I teaching this to you? You've got to catch what I'm saying. If we don't have an empowerment by the Holy Spirit and the supernatural work of God infiltrating our lives, we're going to go through boring, dead church that's not going to reach this next generation and get you lit up and fired up. I do these teachings so that you can understand why I'm so hungry for the power of God. Not because I want to build the church on it, but understanding that power draws people to him. When you get healed, when you get set free, when you get equipped with more, when you get lit up, something changes in your life, and in turn, you will transform your family and your community. Okay? And the Bible gives us so many patterns of how to do that, and this is one pattern. Okay? Acts 19.11. Everything shifts right here. Acts 19.11 and 12. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Now the apron and the handkerchiefs that were coming from Paul's body were used probably in his tent making business. That's an assumption, but if you read any study notes, that's what they'll say, that Paul basically would wear the handkerchiefs like a bandana around his head Okay, because he's building tents, and then he'd have an apron on. And so they'd take the aprons and the tents, and the, uh, not the tents, the handkerchiefs from his body, and take them to the sick, and they would get healed, and demons would get cast out. Now, how do you wrap your logical, intellectual brain around that? Okay? I'll give you a little understanding. Psalm 133. From the head, the anointing of the Lord, from the head down the garment, would bring healing and life if anybody touched the garment. Garments represent mantles. It was a provision and a promise from God when how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil coming down, the anointing oil coming down on Aaron's head, down him taught this last week. It's like the dew of Hermon coming onto Mount Zion where life was was commanded evermore. Paul, listen, Paul's in his fifties. So for nearly thirty years, Paul would be groomed and prepared trained and equipped and he'd be he'd have ministered in ephesus for years now before this happened and it's incredible okay there's some understanding there i don't have it all all i know is from his nature from his nature from who he had become from what he had done from his body god would work unusual miracles right why because if you're in a city full of witchcraft and wizards and new age and magicians and mind readers, and a temple of Diana, and people are coming from all over the world, you better have some power going on. <laughs> you got to understand that. Okay, now not everybody's going to get this, and I don't know, maybe this is too much for a Sunday morning, but I felt like a lot of you needed to hear this, and I'm trying to explain it to you in a, in a, in a real simple, normal way, and hopefully not put you to sleep. You've got to understand God wants to 
work his power through your life and that signs and wonders and miracles, Hebrews, um, I wrote it down here, let's see. I believe it's Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. Yeah, Hebrews 2, 4 talks about how signs and wonders and miracles were wrought through the apostles and the disciples for a purpose and a reason which demonstrates that God is among you. And I'm asking, where's the power? Who's got the power? Wait, I've got the power. That's how it goes. Come on, you guys can laugh a little bit. I know I'm giving you some heavy, revy stuff, but what I'm challenging you guys to do is to think more, believe more, and trust God. You can't make it happen. Only God can rot. Notice that God wrought through them. God is the one that works through our lives. But we must be open, willing, and saying yes to it. And then we position ourselves by trusting him with faith towards God, loving one another in unity, and walking in the moral righteousness that God provides for our life. That's positioning ourselves so that God can rock people's lives. And the way we're going to reach these college campuses and these college students and the next generation, the way we're going to be transformed is to have an experience by the Holy Ghost that transforms you. The devil hates you. God is raising up a loving militant church, a loving militant church, not an angry militant church. He's raising up an army that's got power. And I believe it, and I want it. And I don't feel like I'm seeing it in enough degree, but you know what? I'm going to keep going after it. It was years. It was 30 years. Paul had been beat, scourged, dragged out of the city, and left for dead. I mean, he had been through so much up until this time. Okay, so God works in unusual miracles out of his life. So next we have something that really happens that's pretty cool. You have, what's, you have some itinerant Jewish extras. I'm just sum, summing up Acts 18 for you. I'm sorry, Acts 19. You need to go read this stuff. It's so good. You have some itinerant Jewish exorcists. Itinerant is the word for wandering. They're wanderers, okay? They're, uh, the actual word is vagabond. They were vagabonds in a sense that they traveled around and, and would cast out demons. And they would do it in the name, in the names, the Old Testament names of God, okay? But when suddenly, in the name of Jesus, supernatural miracles are happening through Paul, they go to try to cast out some demons out of somebody in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, it's not enough to know about Jesus. You need to know him. Okay? That's like saying, in the name of the president, but we don't even know, really know the president. God doesn't want you to know about him. He wants you to know him. And so they try to cast demons out of somebody, and this guy, superhuman strength, through the demon, comes into the person's life. He rises up, overpowers him, rips the itinerant Jewish minister's clothes off, and then they run out naked. I mean, it's a pretty crazy story. Talks about the seven sons of Sceva, which isn't how you say it, but there's a proper Greek way to say it. But you know what Sceva means? The seven sons of Sceva? Sceva is the word mind reader. So you had these Jewish New Age witchcraft trying to use the old names of God, and they were doing it manipulative for money. Wasn't going to work. Okay? Wasn't going to work. But check this out. I'm telling you how the church of Ephesus grew. This is powerful understanding, how you got a church here, okay? And so, they try to cast out these demons, and, and the demons say, well, 
Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? We don't know you. And then, man, those guys get their heinies kicked, okay? Which is an important thing. When those demons said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, when you start bringing destruction to the enemy's camp, you better believe you're going to get marked, okay? You probably heard the this, this saying, demons know, our, know my name in hell because they hate what we're doing and they're on a mission to destroy the work. I have had a demon by name call me. I've had a demon call me out by name that never knew me. The, the, the spirit in the person cussed me out and said my name. I was like, that's a compliment. Hey, high five. Oh, man. You've got to have some fun with this stuff, guys. Okay? So, <clears throat> check this out. So, supernatural things happen through Paul and the disciples and churches are growing. These people try to mimic it. It doesn't work. And in turn, it says that it was to their it was to the gospel's advantage. Look at Acts 19, 17 through 20. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. It, so by the backfiring of the mind-reading Jewish exorcists that tried to mimic what the real gospel does, they were trying to mimic it. It backfired. You see that? And now, because what, I've taught you guys this, that people are saved by the contrast. The, seeing how much greater the light is versus the dark. And so what happened here is you had, the, in a sense, this battle between the light and the dark. And when the light prevailed and people saw it, it says that the fear of the Lord fell on them and the, the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who believed came confessing and telling their de deeds. Now, this is really cool. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So all these, all these apprentice magicians and the magicians see the real power, get saved by the contrast, and they take the, all of their books, which was worth a ton of money because it was instruction in how to do witchcraft and magic and wizardry, valuable, valuable books in that day, and they took them all and burned them. After I gave my life to Jesus, I'm not telling you to do this. I'm just telling you what the Holy Spirit showed me. I had read that. After I gave my life to Jesus, I took all my Grateful Dead bootleg tapes, all my, my wizardry tie-dyes that had all kinds of totem pole stuff in it, my crystals, a lot of my crystals. I kept one as a testimony, which I still have. All these things that I had leaned on, all my paraphernalia, all my drug paraphernalia, all my stuff that was anything represented my old life, all, all my secular music at the time. Now, I'm not anti-secular music. Okay, what I'm telling you is at that time, I had to make a cut from my past. And I piled it high. I mean, I'm not kidding. It was like this high. I laid this huge $10,000 tie-dye that was custom-made in Haight-Ashbury from a very rare tie-dye maker. I'm telling you, it was worth a lot of money. And I laid it over the top, doused with gasoline, and lit it all on fire. And it burned this ominous, blue, purple, weird-looking fire when it all lit up. And God... That night, let me tell you something, that night I got invited to go see a prophetess by the name of Diana Palmer. I didn't want to go. I was, had felt so, initially I felt free, but then I was feeling this like sorrow somewhat in my heart, and I got invited to go see this prophetess. 
It was packed out. She starts singing a prophecy, comes down the aisle. I'm all the way in the back. She starts walking down the aisle towards me. I don't know what to do. My mouth starts doing funny things. My hair stands on end, and I feel completely limp. And she comes and prophesies and says that God's, that I have left the old behind, that I've been in the desert far too long, and now that I have made left the old behind, that it was God's good pleasure to give me the kingdom and that it was reserved for me going forward. And, and she sang, well done, my son, directly in what had happened, and only the Lord would know. Changed my life forever. Changed my life forever. I'm telling you, forever, okay? So I'm not going to go much longer. I'm actually almost done because I'll probably do part two next week. I'm helping you understand the foundation of this church. And next service, I'm going to make it a little bit more story right at people. But let me just tell you what happens, okay? The, Lord, the word of the Lord grew mightily, and then suddenly a riot takes place. And this riot takes place because you had some silversmiths that were very angry because they were losing their trade and they were afraid that now they'd stop selling souvenirs and all of the work that they were doing to make money with all the tourists that were coming through. They're like, look, people are getting, I'm paraphrasing it for you. People are getting born again. The, 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 the whole region's getting transformed. And if this keeps happening, People aren't going to come to the Temple of Diana. They're not going to want to buy our souvenirs anymore. And so they stir up a dissension. A riot ensues. 25,000 people goes into the sand. There's a famous amphitheater in Ephesus that holds over 25,000 people. You can see pictures of it today. Thousands of people. And it's, the Bible says that they go in and there's a riot. They drag, they drug two of the disciples into the, the amphitheater. And then the Bible says many of them didn't even know why we're there. They were just rioting to riot. And because Ephesus was a Roman province and Rome didn't handle any dissension or rioting very well, they would come down with an iron fist. Basically, the city clerk, the city clerk, by the way, let me just tell you, the city clerk stands up and says, we're the gatekeepers of the temple, Diana. And if we keep doing this, the Ro in a sense, we're going to lose our standing with Rome and they're going to come down really hard on us. These people didn't do anything wrong. You got to let them go. And they let them go. Okay. In Acts 20. Paul would call the elders of Ephesus to where he was in Troas, and he would tell them to watch and be careful and beware because savage wolves would come from the outside to, to pick off victims. They'd have no care of who they picked off, and people will rise up from the inside and cause dissension and cause people to follow themselves and not the Lord. That's Acts 20. Okay? About nine years later, Paul writes the book, of Ephesians, nine years later, roughly. And Paul starts out by talking about being blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He talks about um, predestined to be sons, by the way, predestined in the knowledge foreknew us to know him and what his will is. And then he says this in verse 15, and I'm only going to give you one part of the scripture, and then I'm going to pray for you. Ephesians 1, 15 when Paul heard about the love or the faith that the people had in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints, he says, I'm not going to stop praying for you. And I'm making mention of you in my prayers. You're, you need a lot of prayer. This church has been through so much. It started through the fire, fiery trials of supernatural empowerment in an intense city. And savage wolves are, have tried hard. 
and people have risen up. You know, the church, a local church always has two threats, people from the outside and people from the inside. Now, the people from the outside aren't my enemies, but there will always be savage wolves that are going to come in and try to be cancerous or bring dissension. And my thing is when the presence of God is here and you've got a unified family, bring them on so they can experience the love of God. Who said, man, there's a witch in the service. Shakarabaka, you need to know Jesus. I'm telling you, so awesome. Presence of God comes, worship, and, and suddenly that witch that thought they had power can't stand a chance in the presence and the power of God or when they're really loved. How's that for some new church doctrine for you, right? I think probably our bigger threat would be people from the inside that want to, for some odd reason, rise up and do their own thing or distract. And you know what? When you have a unified family, I'm not even worried about that either, okay? So Paul would say, I didn't stop to make mention, and you guys can read the rest of this because it's so powerful, but I'll, I'll just focus on a couple verses. Uh, verse 17, that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So the first thing you have to understand is that God gives. Everybody say, God gives. The word give means that you're supplied, you're fully furnished, you're equipped, you receive the reward for what, you, what you've done, and it means that you're commissioned. So Paul's praying that God would give a spirit of wisdom, not a spirit like another type of spirit, but that a spirit in you would have wisdom and revelation. The word wisdom in the Greek is the word Sophia. It means to gain insight and understanding and be able to manage and actively convey what God has shown you. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that you would have revelation, which means he'd lift the lid and bring light to the hidden areas of your life. He wants you to have correct knowledge and understanding to know intimately, to have the mind of Christ and to walk in wisdom and revelation and understand that it comes from him. Wisdom is also the intelligence and the ability to learn. That's why I talk about having intelligence submitted to the Holy Spirit. And then he would go on to say something so powerful that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Everybody say these, we're going to say one word in three syllables. Fo-ti-zo. Fo-ti-zo is the word enlightened, and it means rays of light that lights you up and gets you on fire. It means that he shines light into the eyes of your understanding. We're talking ophthalmology eyes. That's what the word is in the Greek. We're talking clarity to see, and in your spirit, you now have understanding Wisdom in the knowledge of him, and now I become enlightened. Everybody say enlightened. enlightened. It's a new age of enlightenment for you. It means that now you would be awakened and lit on fire, and the lid would be lifted, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and you would have gain understanding and insight to lead God's way, love God's way, and live God's way. And this, this, the rest of this passage is incredible, and I'll probably preach it next week if the Lord allows me. But I would encourage you to read the rest of this. All the way to verse 22 or 23. I've given you such a foundational understanding that when you leave here, if you'll read the rest of these verses, now understanding the context. In fact, the whole book of, of Ephesians now is so incredible because you understand who he's writing to in the context and how the church started and the setting. Because later, Timothy would be planted in, in Ephesus. And it'd be really incredible how God would move mightily in his life. All right? Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Vendette, senior pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life. 
and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up.